On this episode of Movies Ruin My Life, it seems as though no one ever agrees, but everyone has something to say about David Fincher. This is Danny. Hi, everyone. And I'm Brandon. And David Fincher, my friend. The one and only. Yeah. I was a little apprehensive. I knew that we had to do this episode, but I, I've been struggling with, with, and I've been putting it off for a little while, as you know, because we originally started talking about this back at, like, episode three. Yep. And now we're in, what, the, the 30s, I think, episode 30-something that this is going to be, and and I almost didn't want to have this conversation because it seems as though half the world thinks that David Fincher is a true auteur and uh, a true visionary or at very least uh, an excellent visual storyteller. And then the other half of the world sees him as kind of a hack or um, as uh, have uh, as kind of riding the wave of uh, exploiting a, a certain audience which would kind of be your upper middle class white male to be quite honest yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah absolutely of which we kind of both (laughs) belong to absolutely yeah we are privileged white males we're the type of people who would like fincher yeah so it does seem kind of odd to go down this road but nevertheless there's quality in his work uh and and we're fans of his work so we have to broach it sooner or later and no better time than than the present um, I thought it might be interesting to start off just to warm us up and whatnot with a first and favorites. First and favorite? Yeah. Uh, first one I saw was Fight Club. I went back after that and watched some. Yeah, Fight Club was first. And for a very long time, it was my favorite, but current favorite is The Game. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, great movie. But, um, just to get back to what you were saying there, I think maybe... Actually, no, no, you do your first and favorite first, then we'll get into the analysis. Okay, okay. Um, My first is actually Seven, and I love that movie, uh, which we'll get into. Uh, I I can remember seeing that with my grandma, because I think I've told the story before. (laughs) Yeah, we, like, I used to, uh, me and my cousin used to go to Jumbo Video in Brampton, right? Yep. Rent movies. You remember that Jumbo right off the 410, right? Yeah. And I'd go and visit them in the summer and we'd go there, rent three or four movies and then I'd watch them with my grandma. And um, I remember renting, uh, she was a big Morgan Freeman fan, so I remember renting that and something else that he was in around that time. And that was the first one I saw and I, I always kind of remember that as having this deep conversation afterwards with my grandma about about that film, which is really, really horrific in all seriousness yes. to watch as probably a 13-year-old or maybe younger with, with your grandmother, but in any case... Uh, and then my favorite, I think, is Zodiac, although I've had the conversation with many people that it may have been better if it was a TV series like House of Cards or something like that. And it may have very well been the turning point that brought him to, say, doing a show like House of Cards, realizing yep. the strength of a storytelling format like that, because I think that's what he is first and foremost, is, a, is an effective storyteller. Um, yeah, I agree. But... Uh, I I love that film partially because I have a really strong connection to true crime. I I, I um 
I just like reading true crime books, watching true crime documentaries and whatnot, and, and knew a lot about the case that way. And it was interesting to see um, it play out through through a, a filmmaker of that caliber's, uh, you know, vision. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. And yeah, it could have been, it, it was it was less about the case and more about all the people in the, involved in the case and how it affected them. And it meant it meant a lot to me in terms of changing how I look at even a, for example, a true crime book or movie or documentary or what have you. Right. Yeah, changed my opinion on it. So it's cool. cool. Yeah. You had a point that you wanted to bring up. Oh, yeah. Well, I think the division, like with Fincher, um, a lot of serious cinephiles don't like him because of his background in music video production and yeah. stuff. And Which also, he's never really gotten away from. No. Like, he still kind of is a 90s MTV director yeah. in terms of a lot of his style, which is maybe why we like him, being that we're musicians and we grew up watching rock videos and, and music videos, bunch of music, MTV, all the stuff. Like that's, That was like the default channel on our TVs, you know, most teenagers' houses in the 90s, right? Yep. So. Yeah, and I mean, he also doesn't get the respect of a Tarantino or a Thomas Anderson because he's not a writer-director. Yeah, that's a great point. But um, He's more of, <laughs> and I apologize to anyone who takes offense to this comment, but he, he does have a little bit of a Kubrick side to him in that he tends to take something and adapt it. So, for example, he takes a popular book or a, a book that wasn't that popular and adapts that, and, and that's something that obviously Kubrick is known for. That's a very Kubrick thing, yeah. Yeah, he loves his adaptations. Yeah, he didn't do Great Gatsby. He did a short story by Fitzgerald, of A Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Mm-hmm. And I, he is known as a control freak, Fincher. Multiple takes, sometimes an unreasonable amount of takes. Yeah, which is, again, a Kubrick a quality. Kubrick yeah. So, But um, I'm obviously in the camp of like I think Fincher's one of the, the best directors working today mm. so much so that it's hard to talk about him he's almost immune to analysis or criticism because I can't watch his movies with a critical eye the first time they're so the narrative momentum is just too strong like the first time I saw Fight Club or the first time I saw The Game or the first time I saw Seven yeah uh, and yeah Seven is a brutal brutal ending mm-hmm. um, I remember Roger Ebert wrote his review and said it was the most shocking ending he'd seen since The Vanishing. I didn't didn't know what The Vanishing was, so I immediately watched that after. And that ending, if you like the ending of Seven, (laughs) I recommend The Vanishing. It is horrifying. Just horrifying. Could you explain to me a little more what you what you mean? I I, I'm not following exactly. You, You when you watch a Fincher film the first time, you don't analyze what do you mean by that i mean like i'm not picking up on i'm not a lot of the times now when i watch a movie i'm i'm thinking that's a great establishing shot or i really like this title sequence yeah with fincher i just don't have time in my brain or room in my brain to think these things not Mm. the first viewing even like i was a pretty seasoned movie watcher around a couple years ago when the social never came out and i was just i think a lot of it has to do with his attention to sound and soundtracks like yeah one thing that I the something in Fight Club that I I really like, and I think it bleeds over into his other films. There's a scene where um, Edward Norton's character, some people call him Jack, I'll just call him Jack. Uh, Jack and Tyler are on the bus. It's when they have the William Shatner conversation, and uh, everyone on the bus is coughing. Mm-hmm. Then the coughs start to get a little more violent and wet, and then it cuts to the basement, and it's actually the sounds of men fighting. Yeah, that kind of clever. Stuff really, it unconsciously, 
I don't know. It, it just sweeps people. Yeah, it sweeps yeah. you along. So yeah, it's very hard for me to be critical about Fincher until way after the fact. I've seen a movie four or five times. It's interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring up Tempo because both the people who praise him or the people who are knocking him down, they, they very much reference his his kind of shock effect style directing at times, the quick cuts, the cross cuts, like quick cross cutting, the, you know, everything is very quick, very visceral as well. Like it's, um, and it is that it's intentional, Mm -hmm. um, which maybe again is kind of going back to his, his music video days where that kind of style is, is favored. Mm-hmm. Both for money reasons and for aesthetics, and also, you know, to go back what, to what I was saying about you know, kind of borrowing from some of the greats in terms of like we we talked off air about some of the things that I thought he had in common, at least with directors like Kubrick, like De Palma, things like that, where he's almost kind of borrowed from from some directors. It's like and Hitchcock I, I feel like there's some some qualities of his work in there and so forth and it's like if you're going to steal steal from the best you know <laughs> yeah absolutely so you can't uh, you can't fault the guy for for that I, it is interesting though i wanted to talk you also brought up the aesthetics a little bit he he is very interesting when it comes to uh, lighting i really really like his lighting because he's not afraid of light yep. and different light sources. I find that really interesting. There's a handful of shots where you'll see that we'll say for example another guy you mentioned Tarantino, um the the lighting in Hateful Eight is really unconventional considering the kind of film it is. Um and the same thing applies with say for example something like um Benjamin Button, for example, he's got many light sources going on at that. At the same time, um, Fight Club definitely. Mm-hmm. He's got all kinds of light sources, but he's still a director that likes a very clean look. You're not talking about a J.J. Abrams Star Trek lens flare or you know, kind of boring from that '70s style shooting where you it feels like you're there or it feels um, gritty and real. You're not getting dirt on the lens or water on the lens. These sorts of things. I- and he's this weird, weird mix of, of, of a lot of different styles. And it, it's it's almost like a young man who watched a ton of films. And, and I, you know, if you look at some of his favorite films of all time, they're all over the board. Um, and just put them all in a blender and said, okay, this is my style now. Right. And it's really cool. You know, I was really interested to see that he's a big fan of Zelig because – that's a film that I would not take a look at and see any of the Woody Allen movie. Yeah, and not really? see any of Fincher's style in it at all. Um, but same here. I can't even think of. Yeah, it's interesting. I yeah. love Zelig, but uh, you know, I, I wouldn't draw a comparison to the two. But it's interesting. For example, that I, that one just popped into my head. But I'm, I, I do see a little bit of. Um, say, for example, fixed shots, master shot usage, these sorts of things that are in his style that maybe are a little bit of again boring from someone like a Woody or something like that where yeah yeah so it's interesting it's interesting stuff with this guy that's again maybe that's going back to why people think that he, either that he is or isn't a great director is that you can find all these little things that are in his work that have been 
that he's kind of cherry picked as quality things to do out of other work. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, like we were you sent me a video um about Fincher. I think it was called what Every Frame a Painting. Yeah, that guy's that wicked. Guy. Yeah, you should check out th- that video actually. That's he does a lot of cool stuff. He yeah, That guy mentioned Tony, um I can't think of his name. But yeah, if you just search YouTube Every Frame a Painting. Fincher, yeah. And I mean, he he put a lot of emphasis on what Fincher doesn't do, which is interesting. I mean, like, he's very reticent to use handheld, like we talked about. Yeah, which is interesting, because I was telling you off-air that it was... I thought there was a lot more handheld in 7. Yeah. Until I... Until I had it broken down for me by that guy. Yeah. Essentially, it's really interesting. And just thinking now of Fight Club, I I assumed those fight scenes would have had it, but it was usually just a tripod static camera somewhere further back in the room. Yeah, and he likes a a wide lens shot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and as the movie progressed, the camera got closer to the fighters, but it was still not handheld. Even Mm. when um, Norton goes to town on Jared Leto, that's still non-human operation. So it's, it's... I don't know. It's really weird. And another like major complaint that I remember when Fight Club came out is like a lot of people were really bored by the first half hour of that movie. Really? Yes. Because it was I mean think about it. Edward Norton he's he's narrating in a pretty measured monotone. Mm-hmm. He lives mm-hmm. an extremely boring life, which is the point. But until that movie gets going, I could see why someone finds it would find it kind of I don't know, sterile. Do you think that perhaps it's that they see some of themselves in it? You know, like the whole Ikea thing and... <laughs> Maybe. They're their cubicle and whatnot. Maybe that's why. Which is so interesting because I also don't subscribe to the theory that people want to see real, gritty, true films. I don't... I've never believed that. Yeah, me neither. And me neither. and so it it is interesting that, say, for example, if you are hearing this, which I've never... I, I, I don't know. I don't hear a lot of people complaining about the beginning of Fight Club, but if you do... Maybe a similar effect is happening where they're they're not comfortable with something that's almost like their real life. Who right, knows? Right. And, it, there, and then just stylized. Yeah, and there is that distancing effect of his insomnia. So, I mean, man, yeah. Well, we should talk about some specific films. What would you like to start with? Let's see here. We have an entire list <laughs> right in front of us starting with, well, we have Alien 3. Which I have not seen. You haven't seen Alien Three? No, I haven't. Well, that's probably that's probably another reason why he's not respected. Why? At because first, because he picked up on a franchise, maybe. Yeah, but you got to get a gig somewhere. Unfortunately, uh, as Dave talked about in the um, Aliens episode, his idea for the first or for his first film, you know, for Aliens Three, was a lot different, and Fox didn't let him do a lot of the things that he wanted to do. Um, including you wanted to uh, have like a, uh, it was a wood planet with monks kind of thing. It wasn't a spaceship and mm-hmm. so forth. It was a different, very different film in Fincher's mind. And the film does still have a lot of qualities of, of Fincher that you see later. Um, but we have talked about, say, for example, the alien POV shot in that film. That's just fucking stupid. <laughs> but yeah. he was young. He, yeah, a mixture of he was young and he was not in control. Like, if you look at the films, as, as he goes along, he he starts to take more control. So it does it does vary uh, with his work. The, the quality seems to be this just 
on the like 80 to 90 percent control in terms of the creative part of it um he does a lot of the, as you know like he does a lot of the the second unit shit himself like stuff that people would normally delegate to another director mm-hmm. he does it himself right in large part and and it's interesting because i know on that film for a fact he didn't have that privilege so um yeah that being said though for example i know and i apologize to anyone listening who's a big fan of it but like benjamin button I'm not a huge fan of it, and I know he put his heart into that film and had like full fucking control in a lot of ways of that film. And it's, I'm obviously wrong because 17 Academy Award nominations and countless other awards and box office numbers and everything else that you can hope for, DVD sales, etc. But I, I think he almost had too much control of that project. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, I don't know a single person who likes that movie. I don't yeah. know who these people are watching it. Mm, douchebags <laughs> <laughs> i can't believe so we have a list in front of us here of uh an interview fincher did with empire magazine in 2008 uh, and he listed his favorite films and some of these i would never have guessed like you said zelig zelig like, yeah some of these for sure i mean chinatown he likes chinatown of course and, and you I can see like seven is... commonalities between say for example seven yeah exactly uh, i'll just the... let you talk What's interesting about Chinatown is, like, Jack Nicholson is in every single scene. Yeah. It's really hard to get a sense of the outside world, and Seven is very, very claustrophobic. Yeah. That police station doesn't feel like a police station in other films. It's not, like, crazy bustling. It's these two detectives kind of getting closer as friends, but I don't know. There's just so but much... also kind of uh, exchanging machismo, you know, see who lands on uh, as the alpha, so to speak. There is that element to it too. Yeah, and just the menace, the menace that just uh, keeps. You can sort of feel it just getting closer and closer to like uh, some kind of doom laden resolution. And I mean that video you just um, sent to me. Uh, what does Fincher say? Okay, so Fincher doesn't like handheld. Mm-hmm. He likes it to be on a track because he says here, and I'm quoting, it doesn't have any personality. It's like what's happening was doomed to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, he likes an omnipotent, uh, omnipotent kind of... That's the word he yeah, used, yeah. yeah. So like doomed, I think, is a deliberate choice of word because, I mean, of his major 90s film, you know, Seven in the Game and Fight Club, there is that sense of menace. I think that's one reason why House of Cards is kind of running out of gas now. Um, oh, I thought I thought that that it ended at a real logical conclusion this last season. Yeah, I thought it was very tasteful. I just thought the last two seasons, pretty much ever since. I'm sorry if this spoils it for any of you, but I, I won't actually say specific titles. But once mm. Frank Underwood achieves his goal, goal, yeah, it did start to lose a bit of steam for me because maintaining that level of menace for what it's in its fourth season now or fifth. Mm. Uh, it'll it's it's completed its fourth season, yeah. But he he he's exec producer on a lot of those episodes. He's not like say for example, like Robin Wright directed a handful of this past season and whatnot. So mm. yeah. Um and a lot of other noteworthy directors. My brain is drawing a blank here, but he's yeah. He only directed I think the first few episodes, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and the pilot was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
But in any case, we we went from Aliens 3, which we don't have much to say about, obviously, because you haven't seen it, and it's probably one of my lesser favorites in that series. So let's uh, we've already kind of been talking about Seven. Let's continue on a little bit with Seven. This is the first time he's working with Spacey uh, before, obviously, uh, House of Cards, which you can count it, you can not count it, whatever you like. And also the first time that he's working with Brad Pitt who is the most prevalent in his body of work. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Seven, you were talking, yeah, about, you know, he's kind of the heir to the Hitchcock, Brian De Palma thing, and Seven probably has a, you know, that's a big reason why. I Mm -hmm. mean, Gwyneth Paltrow's character is just the, you know, very domesticated, very, um, not one-dimensional, but she doesn't get a lot of screen time, and she just ends up being fodder for, you know... Yeah, you basically get enough time with her to grow emotionally attached to her. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just... It hits so much harder that she hadn't committed any of the deadly sins. It was John Doe's own sin of yeah. jealousy. <laughs> like, it just hurts so much more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... Yeah, I mean, it's... Now, seeing as we were talking about that particular um, film and, and also the quote, the video that uh, uh, Every Frame of Painting, we keep bringing it up because so, I sent it to you today because I think it was it's a really well done um, video on YouTube and you should check out his channel again, Every Frame of Painting. Um it is interesting, as much as he has a valid point with everything that he's saying about Fincher's uh, <clears throat> angle choices, uh, shot sizes, et cetera, et cetera, this film bothers me because this is his style is a little overt in this film, for my taste, Inside. nowadays. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because you have Morgan Freeman, you have Brad Pitt, you have Kevin Spacey for a small portion of the film— as well as the film being sprinkled with a, a handful of other wonderful actors. And for a guy who, in all seriousness, is a director as he's aged, and maybe my tastes have moved along with David Fincher a little bit. So looking back, my problem is I don't think he would make that film the same way now, mm-hmm. like at all. I, I think he could tell the same story with a lot less work. Um, and it just seemed like... I and uh, it just seemed like he was. It didn't matter that you had Morgan Freeman or Brad Pitt or Gwyneth Paltrow or any of these people in the film, because it could have been you. you could have done that same film uh, with anyone, with a guy off the street, and and the 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 camera work and everything was literally being uh, it, that that movie in particular. He was very much turning his actors into puppets and using the camera to tell the story. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm being hard on it, but... No, I think I that's just... an excellent point. He doesn't use the actor's capabilities. It's a very atmospheric police procedural, mm-hmm. pretty much. And, yeah, so maybe I should step back, although I was going to anyway, on the whole Kubrick thing, because, say, for example, as much as we talk about Kubrick doing a lot of... Um, we talked about uh, his use of um, the one-point perspective and stuff like that, which is... A, a prevalent shot in his filmmaking it, it's like throughout his catalog it's it's interesting because he, he does while david fincher has the strength of will let's say to sit on a shot 
for a long time, he doesn't do it the same way as some of the greats do. Like he doesn't do, say for example, one that came up is is like the girl with the dragon tattoo, the the pre blowjob shot, forced blowjob shot. You know that. It's still, it's not. And I know I'm comparing him to one of the greatest of all time, but that's not how Kubrick would stick on a shot, for example. So I, I it's like if I'm going to applaud this guy as like one of the best ever working in, you know, in in Hollywood cinema, to to this this cat. I I, I can't applaud both of them for the same thing when the effect is is varying in quality. That being said, it's still effective, but it's, and and the same thing applies with Seven, where he's. The camera has so much intent and so much control over the viewer that you can't form your own opinion. Whereas Kubrick, again, because I just have to defend myself because I made an idiot of myself at the beginning of the show by saying he borrows from Kubrick's style. Like, Kubrick would never do that. Kubrick's films in general are very much like, form your own opinion, bye. Mm-hmm. You know, So your life's fucked now because I've screwed your brain up. <laughs> Enjoy figuring your shit out. Whereas David Finch is just like, here's everything. And like you said, maybe that's why you're overwhelmed the first time you see it because it is like that. He, he just—it's like he's shoving the fucking movie down your throat. And you're yeah, like, and it's like I'm not taking cough medicine here. This is for enjoyment, right? Right. Especially in the early part of his work. So as much as I like a film like Seven, I can't help but every time I go back to it, just feel like I'm getting, you know, just getting a message forced on me. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, yeah, there's a reason it's so immersive, but. There's also a reason why that movie feels so claustrophobic. Yeah. All okay, right. the game. Well, yeah, you want to do one more and then we'll go to break? Yeah, so this is a big one for me. But again, um, you can't really... I could apply, and I hadn't realized that about Seven, but I completely agree about the interchangeability of the actors. But, I mean, I don't think Michael Douglas, although no. his performance is great, yeah. I think it could have been anybody. What you have basically is... You think is, it could um, have been anybody? I think so. Oh, okay. What you have is a Scrooge character, an American Scrooge, extremely cartoonish, okay. you know? He just he dislikes everybody except for his brother. Mm-hmm. His brother is the opposite of him, a ne'er-do-well, anti-Wall Street. So for those of you who haven't seen it, essentially you got this guy from Wall Street, basically Michael Douglas from Wall Street, yeah. placed against his will into circumstances that dramatically change his worldview but the narrative momentum is akin to that of speed i would say yeah it moves so quickly and you have basically this rich guy a one percenter in circumstances that afflict the 99 percent, and how he reacts to that and the human the spectrum of human emotions he goes through Mm -hmm. all while trying to protect himself because he's in imminent danger the entire time yeah so, like, it's you really have to suspend your disbelief for this one, but uh, it's it's just such a ride. It's such a ride. It's interesting too. The um, we talked a little bit before about like how <laughs> Fincher is a uh, a director for the plight of the upper class white male, and this film is very much like that. Like he's yep. j- he's basically just pissed because he's like, I haven't got any money, and yeah, no not, one believes me. I'm not rich I have no anymore. Credibility. Yeah. Like I can't exude my will onto people, and and no, that's a good point. And so yeah. life sucks. Yeah, yeah. I know? used to be powerful. Now I'm not. But uh, one creative cut I will mention from this movie, the game. Um, you have Michael Douglas in a diner, and I think he has about two dollars left in his pocket. 
And he says to the diner, which is full, like, may I have your attention, please? I have $2 if I could please get a ride back to Los Angeles. And crickets. No one answers him. Mm. Cut, and he's a passenger in a truck cab sailing down the highway, and he's sleeping. What I love is that Fincher doesn't show the trucker coming up to him saying, I can give you a ride. And I don't even know if he filmed it, and I hope he didn't. I hope he had the sense not to. Because we don't need that. And I like, I just, I think that's a great cut. Yep. And, and, and again, like I know I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit, but I, I love this film and, and it's for reasons exactly like that, that this one is one of the ones that in his early catalog, like say, um, I guess pre Zodiac that you can kind of fill in the blanks yourself. So yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Good point. The only thing I would get uh, one mark against the game is that you remember that 90s cliche of um, home movies? Mm. There, there was always a home movie or somebody holding a cam. Yeah. Um, so at the very beginning of the game, you get some home movies from uh, what is allegedly the protagonist's childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a mansion. We're talking domestic scenes, you know, garden, uh, mother holding a baby, and then. A man jumping off a roof. I don't know why they were filming that. Yeah. <laughs> if it's his father's suicide. But that's the only knock against the game, I think. I well, you know, it's an important family moment. Yeah, but this, <laughs> it, by 97, that had been done. So, oh, wait. <laughs> Sorry, I completely missed the joke. Yeah. Dad suicide, that's, 97. <laughs> it's written on the tape. Or it wouldn't be 97. Be like, yeah, dad suicide, 1974, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> Next to, like, you know, Jerry's wedding. Yeah, exactly. I like it. Okay, so we should take a break before Fight Club, right? Yeah, let's clear our thoughts, come back, and we'll get into Fight Club. If you have an idea for something you'd like to hear on the show, please email us at show at moviesruinmylife.com or reach out to us on Twitter. And however you're taking part in this episode, please don't forget to leave comments, share, reach out to us so we can keep the conversation going. We're back. Yeah. And Fight Club. You want to kick this one off, my friend? Sure. Yeah. Um. So the first time I saw Fight Club, I was really blown away. I thought it was a fantastic movie, and I was obsessed with it. I bought the VHS. I bought the DVD so I could see the deleted scenes. And um, just, you know, the opening title sequence through um, Jack's brain, and then it comes out through the gun, and, you know, he's got a gun in his mouth. It's a pretty wonderful opening, but... Um, and just the, you know, the feeling of male disenfranchisement and... Um, frustration at you know advertising but and so to counter that with this anti-materialistic worldview where you take out your aggression fighting and you start something like project mayhem and lash out against the world that promised you things but you don't have them so but now i don't it's i don't subscribe to that worldview anymore i i would like a comfortable home at some point yeah I've got plenty of IKEA furniture. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, <laughs> something something that I'd find interesting is you know, um, there's a scene where uh, Tyler Durden, gorgeous Brad Pitt, is in the bath with a face cloth on his over his eyes, smoking a cigarette, and Edward Norton says his father advised him to get married, and he's like, "I can't get married. I'm a 30 year old boy." And yeah. uh, Durden says, "You know, we're a generation of men raised by women. I'm wondering if uh, another woman's the answer that we need." Stuff like that. It takes on a whole different meaning when you realize that Chuck Palahniuk is, uh, you know, he's gay. Mm-hmm. And not in a bad way. It's just 
Obviously not in a bad way, but I mean, if he's the kind of guy who's not sexually interested in women, the line does take on a different meaning. Mm. I didn't realize that when I first saw it. I just thought he meant um, we should kind of we should be men going our own way in this kind of society. But I mean, it still holds up as a well-made movie. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the whole like uh, men or the like the the pro men movement, so to speak. And that movie is kind of a jump-off point for a lot of these, you know, men's right kind of. people it makes me laugh because it's not the point of the film it's not the point of the book at all it's in its essence they're both kind of character studies Mm -hmm. in a roundabout way and they're they're both just a series of questions Mm -hmm. maybe not and and yeah this is why i i like even to this day even though i don't hold it in such high regard as i did when i first saw it I do respect the fact that they don't answer a lot of the questions that they ask, and that's a, a, I appreciate that. Yeah. Now, we talked about this in another panel. You and I both concurred, I think, that, that we like the movie better than the book. Yeah, I yeah. do. I do. Yeah. Much better. The uh, I, A lot of things come together a lot better for me. And something worth noting is I think that <clears throat> as you go through Fincher's body of work, he does have that. He has the sense of of how to make a film versus a book. It's not um, a straight adaptation. You still get those surprises, those things that are important to you. Mm -hmm. I mentioned that being important to me as a film goer in, I think, one of the comic book month episodes. Um, Especially for, say, someone like Polnick, who we all read uh, around that time. We were talking off air about Survivor and Choke and some of the other... Yep. Although I would say Choke is a better book than a movie. It's yeah. definitely the opposite Although of Although Sam Rockwell is like perfect. He's the best part movie. of that movie. Yeah. yeah. But you could put Sam Rockwell in anything. It's the same as he's the best part of Iron Man 2. And even in that Marvel one shot that he's in is Justin Hammer, the post credit sequence. Yeah. just that's better than the whole one shot. Yeah. You just want to watch him. Yeah, a few summers ago, there was a movie called The Way, Way Back with Steve Carell. And yeah. Steve, Sam Rockwell was the only memorable part. If I ever watch that movie again, it'll be for Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell, yeah, he's one of the best. It, it, he's just He's got something special about him. It's just this energy that's just so welcoming. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, in any case, back to David Fincher. <laughs> he, uh, with, with Fight Club, he, he, he did a lot of interesting stuff. Um, is that the first fridge shot in a film? I don't know. Uh, oh, his, in, in his he films, loves yeah, his fridge shots. Yeah, yeah, it might be. I'm not certain. Was there one in the game? There might have been one. In, or, and there might have been one in Seven, too. I can't remember. There may have both been. settings for them. Yeah, he's got the the first one when Norton's in the Ikea catalog, and then he's got the hilarious one when the apartment blows up. Yeah. And then there's many more of putting soap in when, they're, when Project Mayhem is in full swing. Yeah. But, uh, I mean... There are just so many wonderful standalone scenes, and I think that has a lot more to do with the chemistry between Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. And in this movie, Carter, oh, and she's fantastic. She's fantastic, and it's interesting. Have you ever listened to the um, the commentary track for that movie? Yeah, yeah, because you buy the DVD, and we're both we probably would have both been around eighteen mm-hmm. when or something like that when when the collector's edition DVD came out. I know we both have it, and that. That's probably the one of the best commentaries I've ever heard in terms of it just sounds like four friends hanging out. Yeah. 
Yeah, at one point, um, Norton and Fincher disagree on something, and Brad Pitt just goes, you guys are dicks. <laughs> you know, they just sound like, yeah, it's a great commentary track, one of the best. I think a year later, for Fincher's birthday or something like that, uh, didn't uh, Brad Pitt get him arrested or something like that? <laughs> Played a prank on him. So I'll, have to, I'll have to look into that. But yeah, was a great. there's some great stories about around that time and, and it's interesting too because you hear all these these stories about him being this perfectionist and this um just uh, uh driving force behind a film it's like we're gonna do 38 we're gonna do 90 takes however many takes we're gonna do we're gonna do it mm-hmm. to get it perfect um and then it, it seems as though that his cast and crew pretty unanimously speak pretty highly of him oh yeah i mean the scene where um edward norton loses his apartment and calls tyler and no one answers and then the payphone rings Mm -hmm. and he picks it up and brad you know tyler durden brad pitt is like who's this and then starts eating chips Mm -hmm. that was brad pitt's idea an apple he's eating an apple no man they're chips are they chips yeah loud yeah they were hanging out one night in the studio i think yeah, they were hanging out one night in the studio, and it was Brad Pitt's idea to add the chips, and they yeah. hadn't slept in two days, and Fincher thought it was hilarious. <laughs> so if he's amenable to these kinds of suggestions, obviously he's not as crazy as the story suggests. <laughs> and I mean, uh, the it's almost a bromance at, at the early stages, Yeah, when they first start hanging out together, particularly the first date, you know, the, the first fight Yeah, uh, at the bar when... Uh, Tyler Durden espouses his worldview, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, fuck off with your string green straight patterns. Yeah, I do love the line about uh, that same scene that you were alluding to before in the bathtub, uh, where he says, uh, uh, "Fuckers setting up franchises." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My dad, uh, yeah, every five years he'd get, you know, he'd leave his family and then start, start another one. Fuckers starting a franchise yeah. <laughs> because the movie is about franchise is taking over right yeah. the starbucks stellar sphere and the microsoft galaxy it's great to throw that line in there yeah because it's not only funny it's consistent mm-hmm. and another thing that you probably remember from the commentary track is um when marla singer and tyler durden have sex and she says um i haven't been fucked like that since grade school yeah the original line was i want to have your abortion yep <laughs> yeah. which is so good and the producer's begged Fincher to change it, and he relented and said, I will change it, but whatever I change it to cannot be changed. <laughs> so when they changed it to, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school, the producers begged him to change it back. <laughs> <laughs> but now he wouldn't, although I prefer the abortion line. I like the grade school line. They're both great. I mean, I watched that film with my dad, and after she Marla Singer said that, my dad went, grade school? <laughs> he couldn't believe it. Yeah, she's great. I mean, uh, just the little subtle jokes, you know, um, Jack goes after her after a support group. She goes into a laundromat and just takes a bunch of clothes out of a dryer and mm-hmm. sells them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing, selling those? And she grabs them right by the balls. Yes, I'm selling some clothes. Yeah, and you understand why he's so interested in her because you are so interested in her. So, yeah, masterful performance, well-written character. Um, and, yeah, good movie. And one more thing I'd add about the, you know, the there's always menace going on. This is something not a lot of people notice. There's the scene where Jack, Edward Norton's character, has to ask Marla Singer to get on a bus because she's now seen as a threat and she doesn't he doesn't want Project Mayhem to come after her. So he gives her a bunch of money and says, 
get on this bus. I, I can't know where you're going. So he turns around and she's like, I'm not paying this back. I think it's asshole tax, <laughs> which is another great line. And yeah. she gets on the bus. As the bus is pulling away, you see two dark silhouettes stand up and surround Marla. And you know that that's Tyler Durden's minions grabbing her. They bring her to the building at the very end. So great. that little menacing, you know, you think she's safe, but she's not. That's uh, just so consistent with Fincher's atmospheric control. Mm-hmm. Do you guys? Do you want? Do you guys? I'm so used to having like a fucking proper panel here. Yeah, it's so just interesting. us two. Yeah. Um, do you want to continue going chronologically somewhat? We'll do a little bit on Panic Room and and Zodiac, or do you want to start melding them, or how do you want to go? Oh, we could start melding them, I guess, because like now we are done with what we would call, you know, his. Some would call him his glory years or his early stage. Mm-hmm. I think Fight Club definitely marked the end of a certain era for Fincher. Yeah. One thing I do like about Panic Room, uh, and you had mentioned off air, sorry, that, that Jodie Foster was in talks to be in the game, right? Yes. Okay. Originally, she was Michael Douglas's sister. Um, she was ousted and then later sued Fincher's company. Apparently, there was no bad blood because he cast her a couple years later in the Panic Room. Yeah. So Interesting. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge Jodie Foster fan. Me too. Uh, that's why I watched The Panic Room. I didn't know it was David Fincher. I just knew it was Jodie Foster. Exactly. Same thing. Um, <clears throat> same reason I watched The Brave One. Two reasons: Jodie Foster and Mogwai. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was it. Because Auto Rocks in the in the commercial, and oh, I don't think it's Otto in. Rock. Yeah, it's not in the movie at all. By the way, I hate when they do that. Yeah, come on. It's like the theme song for the movie now. Yeah, we, yeah, listeners, um, Auto Rock is track one on Mr. Beast, yeah. the Mogwai record. That's pretty, pretty It's a pretty damn. great tune. There's one called Friend of the Night on that album I would I would Google. That, that whole record is pretty strong in all seriousness. Yeah. Um, Panic Room, it, I, I really enjoyed Forrest Whitaker in it. I really enjoyed... Uh, Well, a lot of things about the film that more are indicative of of the acting for the very first time in his body of work. So you see Jodie Foster interacting with, is it Kristen Stewart? Yeah. 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 And and then you see kind of like this domineering figure in in Forrest Whitaker, at least in in terms of with his, uh, I guess, criminal counterparts is a good way to describe it. I like the acting in that film, but I don't particularly like a lot of a lot of what uh, not the direction, but I, a lot of the choices in that film. Like for example, we were talking about uh the the fact that that camera f- in in that film seems to kind of float like a ghost or be an omnipotent kind of uh separate fly on the wall kind of energy. I just don't feel like it's right for that story, but I I like the film overall. It's not one of my favorites. I think Jodie Foster's great in it. I also think that it's interesting, a lot of the behind the scenes, or not behind the scenes, but a lot of the press for that, mm-hmm. that she talked about him as a director, Fincher as a director. Yep. And I respect her a lot in the same light. Obviously, she's got a new movie coming out, or just came out when people hear this, um, with Clooney, right? And it's... I, she is a great artist and a very, very smart lady, a wonderful actress. And so for her to speak so highly of him means a lot to me. Like it, 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 it re- reaffirms maybe I wasn't wrong when I was an angry 18-year-old and mm-hmm. I enjoyed his films. Maybe it's okay to still like his movies. Yeah, an endorsement from Jodie Foster is different. I mean, she's been working with 
She's worked with heavy the finest. Mates. Yeah, Martin Scorsese, uh, Roman Polanski, even a couple years ago with um, what was it? Oh, it was a great movie. I can't remember the name of it. Carnage, Carnage mm-hmm. with Roman Polanski. So yeah, I mean, she uh, she's not going to. All I remember about that movie specifically was a sense of mounting discomfort and claustrophobia. Again, similar to the Seven, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, Fight Club probably marked the very beginning of his um, really working with actors. Mm-hmm. In Fight Club, the line where um, Tyler says, you know, I look like you want to look and I fuck like you want to fuck. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is a very blatant reference to who Brad Pitt is, mm. who he was in 1997 just or 1999, like one of the best looking leading men in Hollywood. Mm. And then Panic Room again, uh, Jodie Foster. I Like who else would have been cast in that? Maybe J-Lo back then? Like... Who was a really... That would have been terrible. She was in something similar at the time. I think the cell. Who cares? Let's not derail for fucking J-Lo conversation. It was similar because it was a... um, It took place in a very contained space, I remember. The cell was weird. Vincent D'Onofrio was okay. Yeah, I like Force... Has he worked with him again? I don't think so. No. Moving along. Moving on. Zodiac. Zodiac. Yeah. Now, this one I, I have a, a strong fondness for. Um, <clears throat> Fincher actually gets quite a bit of praise for the aesthetic and uh, the attention to deta- detail, which we've alluded to in previous uh, uh, parts of the episode, particularly in the opening. Um, uh, I, this film is interesting because is I love that uh, handheld shot, ironically enough, uh, that... Uh, follows the two detectives while um, Mark Ruffalo's eating the animal crackers. Mm-hmm. At the, I think it, that's the taxi murder, if I'm not mistaken, when he kills the guy in the back of the taxi. Um, the film also has one of my favorite, favorite um, shots, uh, close-up shots I've ever seen in a film. And it's it's so interesting because the camera doesn't move to be a close up. Mm. The actor brings the shot in, which is of course the, um, tell me is that gun really loaded? And Mm. then he brings it in and you see it's essentially POV of the character and you see Zodiac pull out the cartridge. So you have a still camera and he moves the gun into it. And then the gun comes into the frame yeah, and and that's the close up of the gun as he takes the cartridge out and shows that it's loaded. Wow. Yeah, it's beautiful. Really, really cool. Um, also, how the um, the newsroom that Robert Downey Jr. and uh, and uh, Gyllenhaal work in, yeah, is shot is really interesting, and and that goes back to some of what we were kind of alluding to, both liking and disliking about Seven. In that uh, a lot of the camera work again drives how you're supposed to feel the suspense and um, or if you're supposed to be involved in what they're talking about or if you're just kind of supposed to know what happens these sorts of things but um, masterful performance by Robert Downey Jr. and and just that whole setting of that newsroom it. it really embodies almost like a, a a lost era of of media, you know, and just these people that are just throwing their whole fucking lives into it. Like it just seems like every asshole, and probably including ourselves, are just typing up some fucking thing and pressing upload on the internet. And now that's that's news mm-hmm. in large part in terms of what we consume. 
And it's so interesting to see kind of in this greater story those kinds of characters kind of being able to be flushed out, which is really interesting. I agree with you. I do have a very strong fondness for any kind of uh, print-era newspaper settings. Yeah. It's just the bustling nature of it. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong, this isn't all the president's men or something like that, but it's a completely different thing, and that should be taken into account. Uh, And and I think that's on the list here, All the President's Men, one of Fincher's favorite films. Really? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Wow. Cool. So that makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, that's and that's probably that's a beautiful beautiful uh example of of what you can do in a newsroom with exposition really driving the story uh in large part. So yeah. and and Fincher has totally learned from that. So you know, very cool. I like the movie. Love the movie. In fact, it's my favorite probably of his both aesthetically uh and and content has something to do with it, I assume. But I would have loved, 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 loved for it to have been, say, for example, a miniseries or, or for example, what we see with, with House of Cards. But, you know, such is life. It's a movie and that's it. <clears throat> yeah, I feel like because we're in the golden era of TV right now, so many This is movies, the golden era of TV? Well, people are writing that, you know, with Breaking Bad. and the, It began with The Sopranos, so with these new long-form films... Okay. The new American novels. This is what the Maybe feeling the is. New golden era. I feel as though we're long past the among, golden era of television. But. Well, just among American, a lot of American TV critics yeah. think we're in a golden. There's so many great shows now, and yeah. uh, a lot of the time people have less patience with a film because they'd rather binge watch it on Netflix and in a long form. Yep. No, that's a valid point. Um, do you want to take a little break? Come back, and we'll talk about uh, in one big ball of um you know fucking chaos his uh his more recent body of work will go from what 2008 with curious case of benjamin button right up to his most recent effort which was gone girl right yep let's do it all right so next week on mermel it's jess nick devon and myself discussing the indiana jones films we hope you'll join us then All right, so we're back, and let's talk about Fincher's four most recent films. We're going to jumble them all up and just kind of go off in chaos. Um, I want to say right off the jump, as I already said, not a huge fan of Benjamin Button. Not Part of it's probably the subject matter. It's just not uh, appealing to me, especially coming out of Fincher's body of work up to this point. It, it is a bit of a curveball, which it I is. respect. It is. It's strangely poignant, but that's not really what most people watch this guy's movies for. Yeah, so. you you you're, you expect to be an angry man boy when you're watching his films. <laughs> like that's just the nature of, of Fincher. But I'm not going to hold that against him. It's a quality film. I do think that both this film and Social Network, though, um, and I know you're a big fan of Social Network. They can be as much as they're brilliant and 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 um, very tasteful. Uh, they can also be a little fucking obvious and uh, with their imagery. Like as much as he says, uh, or as much as he's developed as a director. Mm-hmm. Say for example the the use of um, what's the the scene in Social Network where he's all he's they're in the they're in the. Um, 
the kind of court proceedings or closed proceedings. Yeah, the deposition. Yeah, yeah the deposition. Deposition, sorry. And, <laughs> and you know, I heard someone in, uh, talking about, like, how fucking cool that, like, cut to the empty chair and mm-hmm. and uh, Garfield, Andrew Garfield's not there and blah, blah, blah. That's fucking dumb. Like, I, I don't like that because I know that you're not friends anymore. That's not symbolic of anything. Right, right. Like, we've already – I've been watching the movie – so like uh, like we I, know Garfield's not there, right? Yeah. yeah like again, yeah. this doesn't it doesn't strike me the same way that say for example the um uh the almost like uh, say you you like this movie a lot too, so this will make uh, this is a good uh, analogy I think like Hannah and her sisters like the seemingly kind of haphazard camera work that's actually uh, really cool in terms of uh, telling telling the emotional motivation of the characters or or driving force of the conversation mm-hmm. um so you'll you'll have like a doctor that's walking back and forth by uh, outside the door frame and you just see through the other side of the door frame and shit like that mm-hmm. like that makes sense because the doctor sees like 65 of these fucking agor- or fucking uh, hypochondriacs every day yeah and it doesn't really want to deal with Woody Allen's character, <laughs> right? You know, and and shit like that. So that I understand, I understand why they did that, and I understand why some of those scenes exist in, in Benjamin Button. I'm drawing a little blank. I had a really good example of it, but it happens quite a few times where I I keep thinking like, oh wow, that's a really obvious reaffirmation of something that if I don't know at this point, you should just either like have a fucking ejector seat in the theater. To yeah. like bump me out of it, or you should have a mallet ready so you can come down and just crack me over the fucking head because I'm useless anyway to society. Yeah, I think it's his wife talking to him and he's not in the doorway. Yeah, but like it, it is blatant. It's mm-hmm. really hard to do that to try to convey the absence of presence. It's not just absence; it's somebody missing. Yeah, but so you, like you don't do it best... with both fucking dialogue and right camera work like that's a real fucking Zack snyder move right there is what that the is the best example i ever saw that in a movie is the movie elegy with uh sir ben kingsley and dennis hopper's last film actually uh in the movie dennis hopper's character has died throughout the entire movie ben kingsley and hopper have been playing squash you know that's how they get along every yeah, yeah, yeah yeah after hopper dies uh kingsley goes to play himself and he's not having very much fun, and the camera cuts to a squash ball rolling sadly across the floor. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't then go, my friend who's not here. Yeah, my friend's dead still. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> even that squash ball was a little cheesy, though, so it, people know when a character's missing, right? So you don't always have to do some kind of visual reinforcement like that. But you can convey that in a master shot. You don't need to cut to a specific shot for that. And that's my problem with Fincher is that he does that a lot. He'll cut to a specific shot to convey this. Yeah. Whereas, like, and he does beautiful work in the master shot. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but... No, I agree with you. It's, like, kind of an intrusive reminder almost. I Mm. mean, it's... but. Otherwise, those deposition scenes are the best. Well, it's the entire it's framing the entire, narrative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the best scene. It's pretty much the movie. Yeah. Um, you had some stuff. Do your thing because you wanted to. Well, really- the social network, it, I like it because it makes it. Uh, Justin Timberlake, in everything else I've seen him in, has been way less believable. I liked you know? him in Alpha Dog. He was okay. 
I oh, like, Alpha Dog I, was good. Yeah, I, I forgot about him, that one. Yeah, I liked him in a handful of things. I saw him in Runner Runner, and I hated it. I saw him in that movie with uh, Mila Kunis, and I hated it. Although Affleck was good in Runner Runner because he he's good at playing an asshole. I hope that isn't indicative of him as a person. He was good in that. He movie. He loves being an asshole. Yeah, he was good in that movie. He was the <laughs> only good part of that. Everything's dazed and confused. He's loved being an asshole. <laughs> it seems like. Yeah, so I mean, Fucking well, the boiler room, good asshole. He's always oh, a good asshole. Oh, I forgot about that movie with Giovanni Ribisi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Yes. And uh, Nikki Katz in that. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Ben Affleck as an asshole. Yeah, so runner, runner. Yeah. Just maybe see if you can watch a couple scenes from it on YouTube. Don't watch the whole thing. Just watch Affleck. But, treating um, people poorly. Yeah, I mean the casting in the Social Network was tremendous. That uh, the opposing lawyer. You know, like the big scene is yep. um, you have a you have thirty percent of my attention. The rest of my attention is at the offices of Facebook. That guy, yeah, Mr. Zuckerberg. Don't you feel I deserve your attention? Whoever that is, he looks like a real lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eisenberg. I'd only ever seen him in The Squid and the Whale, and again, I just thought, okay, whatever. Michael Sarah Part Two. Yeah, I like the cat that plays both the Winklevoss twins as well. He's pretty pretty solid. He was he great. Was, he was recently in uh, that movie with Superman. The Man from Uncle. The Man from Uncle. Yeah, he played a Russian. That, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was great. Yeah, isn't it funny that the American plays a Russian and the Englishman plays an American yeah. in that film? Yeah. Perfect. Perfect so, casting. So again, you can see the De Palma-Hitchcock complaint coming back at Fincher here with the social network because of the idea of his girlfriend, um, who he mistreated as a prize, the girl he's going to get back, doesn't have a lot. When Mark Zuckerberg insults her, saying, well, you take English, you know, you're a humanities student, that's easy. You can kind of feel like Fincher's agreeing with her. Maybe. I might be wrong. It's just that first scene when they're in the bar and Mark's complaining about not being invited to parties. If he, mm-hmm. I wonder if he really was like that. Yeah. I don't know how much of this. It's interesting, too, that after working on this film, he, he decided to go with Rooney Mara for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And she's phenomenal. Yeah, it's like, okay, he saw something and he was like, I need to give her way more. She's my Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah. she was great in that movie. Yeah. But in in The Social Network, it could have been anyone, really. Yeah. And the one thing I'm forgetting about here is... Um, and what then is, he worked with her Andrew sister Garfield? House, of, House of Cards. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. She, is it Andrew Garfield? Is that his name? Yeah, he's in Social Network. He's, he's British. Uh, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, he, he, he was Sony's Spider-Man, most recent Spider-Man. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. he's on my list of top ten convincing I like American accents. I, I, yeah, he I really, did it, really like him. The all-time greatest American accent is Guy Pearce in Memento, for my money. Uh, second best would be Tim Roth in Reservoir Dogs. But What? He, Oh, no, wait. Not Tim Roth in Reservoir Dogs. Um, Tim Roth isn't actually very good in Reservoir no, Dogs. No, he's terrible. Uh, well, no, I defended uh, him during the debate, but that was just because I wanted to win the debate. No, not Tim Roth. <laughs> 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 I just Yeah, exactly. No, he's perfect. But no, Garfield is... Uh, he was great. Yeah, he played Eduardo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was great. Oh, God, Eduardo. Yeah. I mean, the scene where he confronts um, Mark and throws his laptop, that's... Per- Probably the only kind of action-y scene or, like, physical drama in the entire movie. And and when the crazy girlfriend sets his bed on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was pretty solid. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's weird because the source material, it's it's a dull, it would be a dull movie if it weren't Fincher. And uh, I think he did the right jo- the right thing by hooking up with Trent Reznor for that totally badass soundtrack, which I think won. Um I think that won an Academy Award for Best Soundtrack. Yeah, I believe, I believe you're right. 
Yeah, good good flick. <clears throat> and to go back, I I wouldn't mind talking about the girl with the dragon tattoo if if you don't mind Me a little bit because I really dig that movie. We talked a little bit off air about um the uh the original film version of the book adaptation that series um and and how great Numi Rapace was don't get me wrong like, yep. she's fantastic um but she's a, she's kind of like a uh, a Clint Eastwood kind of energy you know like a dirty hairy kind of energy in those movies that like he she can do no wrong mm-hmm. until the third film which i know is in line with the books but it's like okay so if you're someone like both of us who have seen those movies and read the books Mm -hmm. um then it is nice to get something different and and when you when you talk about aesthetics when you talk about the acting quality with the exception of maybe rapace um and and when you talk about um lending a whole different dimension to elizabeth salander sorry yeah uh this film does all of those things. Like a lot of people hated that scene where she shows up outside of his apartment with the motorcycle jacket, mm-hmm. and then she's uh, he he uh, um, you know leaves with uh, Robin Wright's character, and he and and sh- and she throws the jacket in the uh, garbage can, and that's mm-hmm. how the the movie kind of ends. And I love that scene. I love that scene because it shows a chink in her armor very early in the in the film franchise which i'm very much hoping they continue yeah i know that both uh rooney mara and fincher have talked about it and hopefully you know i don't think that there's gonna be a bond film anytime soon Mm -hmm. after that last fucking thing which was heartbreaking for me but um so maybe maybe we'll get to see another one um I think they should. It's ultimately one it's, yeah, long it's story, so yeah, the trilogy should. is really. And they've they, already went down that road with the whole like they they went down the road with the flipping the car, blowing up the car, the fire. So you already started where it's going. Mm-hmm. So you might as well go there. Yeah. So in the movie, it's a jacket. What the heck is it in the books? I think it's just a case of it's a bottle of wine or something. Yeah. She gets them. It's not her jacket. No. It's too much a part of her identity in the books. She's yeah. A, I but know. I I love that. I love that that switch that flips because it, it it shows her both as strong because she's willing to instantly move on, mm-hmm. but also that she's she's still vulnerable, you know, and and that means like not not just the relationship with her and her previous caretaker, but it, 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 that she's still um, sharing herself. With the world, you know. This yeah, isn't... she's still able to cultivate affection for somebody. And mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just that she's so fiercely loyal. If she sees any indication of betrayal, yeah, that's that's it. But that resentment uh, just emphasizes that she's not indifferent. Yeah. She, you know, she has a lot of feeling. She's just socially socially awkward. I love the uh, the scene in the boardroom when uh, they, they ask her, what did you omit? from the file and and so she says uh he performs cunnilingus sometime uh, not enough in my opinion <laughs> that's a that's a great moment yeah and uh i also i want to mention that that uh, is it a yeah yeah yeah's cover or is it just karen O 
doing that cover of uh, Immigrant Song. That's I, the opening. I don't know. I think it's just <clears throat> Karen O. I don't think it's and the band. unnamed band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Karen O, an unnamed band. <laughs> good cover, man. Yeah. That is a really good cover. Yeah. Well, you and I have a history with the A. I mean, we bought that second record when it came out, um, Show Your Bones, in yeah, 2000, yeah, and yeah. we both preferred it to the first yeah 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 we got into a fight with your drummer at the time about it like on the internet yeah (laughs) yeah yeah but i mean i did like oh god i'm drawing a blank he's extremely famous and he's he who is the the guy who who plays michael bloomfka oh daniel craig daniel craig yeah daniel i said bond already sorry yeah bond i assumed you were going with uh Um, uh, christopher Plummer as the you know the the elderly gentleman whose daughter or uh, <clears throat> niece has gone missing many years ago and all that. Oh, I also no. just like the aesthetic of the film overall way, way better. It's just a beautiful, beautiful film. Um, I can watch this film over and over again on fucking mute because it just looks great. Yeah, and there's a lot of like in any interior scene, there's a lot of muted, uh, unless they're at the office, um, like muted greens and like the couch will kind of bleed the entire light into the room and yeah again it's fincher's lighting it's like different from movie to movie but it does have this consistent kind of thrust to it and stellan sarsgaard i think i'm pronouncing that correctly great actor who a lot of you guys probably know from uh his role as uh in the thor films uh, as the professor in those films, he who you shouldn't just know him for that because he's fucking amazing and has been around for a very long time. But just a really compelling villain that it, when the when the switch flips, you're not surprised because you were always a little bit creeped out by him. Yeah, and it's such effective storytelling. It really is. It's just and it, it, it's it wonderfully acted. And uh, I have no complaints about this film. I, I think in the wrong hands, this could have been an absolute piece of tripe in terms of something released for the American market. Yes. And yes. And they somehow turned it, or not somehow, uh, in Fincher's hands, turned it into a film that you can watch and enjoy multiple times. So, yeah, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. Gone Girl. Gone Girl. All we right. ended up doing these chronologically anyway. Yeah. We were like, oh, yeah, we're going to do chaos. <laughs> Fucking. So Gone Girl, uh, I watched the movie right after finishing the book. And uh, when I was reading the book, there's the scene where now his wife has gone missing. He's contacted the police. And he uh, it's a couple of days later, and he's called a press conference. And the media shows up. And when they start taking photos, he, he smiles. smiles. Yeah, so good. <laughs> he doesn't do it on purpose. It's just because he's not thinking, he's used to smiling for the camera. Yeah, well, it, so, it is interesting, too, because they're both that way where they both have that, uh, they're putting it on. Yeah. What other people expect of them. Exactly. It wears them down. It's so in the book, when he smiles, uh, as a reader, I was like, oh, shit, he's in trouble now. Mm-hmm. You don't do that. Because there was a case of some guy in California who looked too disinterested in, at the press conference. It turned out he'd killed his wife. So in the movie, I was waiting for that scene. I wanted to think I wanted I was curious to see whether Affleck could pull it off. And he did. That smile is just so insincere and yeah. limp. Oh, <laughs> he it's just fantastic. looks like a douchebag. It's perfect. May I go off in a bit of a departure here for a moment? Sure. I always love this. To go back to, as I said when we were talking about Zodiac, I am a huge fan of uh, true true crime stories, um, documentaries, books, um, and, and 
one of the things that always makes me laugh is uh, interviews with uh, a given detective on a case. Mm-hmm. When it ends up being the spouse, so for example, a man or a woman is found dead, and uh, and it ends up being the spouse. Um, there, the the police always have some kind of retelling of of an interrogation where, um, or, or just a discussion with them where it's it's uh oh he was he was he was very upset like noticeably upset mm-hmm. or he was vacant of emotion or he he his 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 response was almost too perfect and it's always fucking different mm-hmm. you know like there's no consistency it's it, it's it, i i love how in retrospect they're always like oh yeah he he totally did it and we knew right away <laughs> Regardless, of, Regardless the reaction, of the reaction, they can make it retroactively suspicious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, I know that. I knew that she killed her husband because she she was void of emotion. Yeah. I would be strung up for fucking murder charges. Like if any of you ever, like if any of my friends or my family, like even an ex girlfriend from a fucking decade ago mm-hmm. was found dead. Knock on wood. That, like I don't want that shit to happen. Obviously, but if they were the f- if they knock on my fucking door, I'm fucked because I don't respond. You know, my grandfather, who was one of the most, I have a fucking tattoo on my arm of his fucking initials, Danny. Mm-hmm. And when he passed away, I was in the room and I didn't cry for a week. Yeah. Afterwards, I'm fucked. If anyone ever gets murdered around me, <laughs> yeah, man. I'm going to jail. Yeah, some people are just that's it's shock. And right? so like, I like I felt for Ben Affleck in this film. Yeah, me too. Because uh, like I, I I would be void of a emo- I wouldn't have a response. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's it, it, I I personally I know that you you said that you were a little underwhelmed because of just reading the book and then watching yeah, the film. I still like the movie. I, I love the it. film. Yeah. I love the film. And, I thought um, it was fantastic. The casting of uh, Neil Patrick Harris was absolutely perfect i thought because in the book the guy is just a slimy slimy creep he does take care of her but he takes her to this like basically a compound there's no way out the walls are 10 feet high she essentially has to do what she does Mm -hmm. in order to get out and brilliantly but i mean reading the book i'm like this is the this guy's just the worst person and um neil patrick harris did it just perfectly so yeah but she he doesn't do anything wrong to her. She oh no, you're right. Fucks you're right. him up. I mean, she... but aesthetically, it would appear again that way. <laughs> yeah. So don't get a safe house, people. If you plan on, yeah, you know, if you have any crazy exes in your past, either don't get a safe looking house or don't let them the fuck in. Yeah, <laughs> one or the other. He should have known, actually. No, he wouldn't have known. He's obsessed with her. So, oh, that's true. Yeah. 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 So, are there any? Well, there, is there anything else you want to say about Gone Girl? Yeah, I love Rosamund Pike in this film. That uh, that performance stands out in my mind. I think in a less capable actress's hands, it it could have been pretty flat, you know, because you you have to realize that you at the same time are falling in love with this woman through the eyes of Ben Affleck's character mm-hmm. and despising her. Mm-hmm. Through essentially her own eyes or through her own narrative that's yep. going on simultaneously. So, uh, it, it the casting is excellent, um, and I really, really enjoyed this film. I for anyone who thought maybe he was falling off a little bit, which they're stupid <laughs> in terms of. I, I I know there was a lot of negative criticism around. Uh, uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo just because people were so in love with the book and mm-hmm. and uh, the first wave of films um but uh 
if anyone had any doubts about Fincher and his ability to develop as a director, that that film should shut them up for a while. I think so. I mean, I could see snobs going, well, his last two films have been adaptations of hugely successful works of fiction. Mm -hmm. But they also are books that interest him. Yeah, instead of, say... Um, a script that might be super interesting. But, I mean, Fight Club was really successful as a book uh, yep. uh, fiction. Of course, the movie made it just stratospherically successful, but Fight Club on its own did do pretty well before it became... Absolutely. Film. So, I mean... You know what's interesting about Fight Club, the book, is... Even, the, even Zodiac is technically do you a remember, book adaptation. Yeah, do you remember uh, the show Frasier, the guy, the character Gil... The food critic at the at yeah, the yeah. radio station. That guy in real life is a uh, literature agent, and he got Fight Club published. Oh, cool! Yeah, as a book, <laughs> which is really weird. Just Gil. I, I just remember Gil. Being, I like Gil. Yeah. <laughs> so there's one other. How thing. did Frazier come up in a fucking David <laughs> yeah. Fincher talk? There's one other thing, just I want to talk about here, and we don't have to keep it in, but. The geography of these films, I'm trying to think, and I can't... They're always upper white middle-class houses as well. Do you know if Seven takes place in an actual city city? New York. Or is it not? It's New York? It's New York. Okay, and then the game takes place in San Fran. Yeah. Fight Club is a deliberately anonymous city, right? Yeah. Panic Room. It's a room. Zodiac be LA, right? Yeah. Well, it's uh, San Francisco. It's the Bay Area. Yeah, Social Network... Mm, I'm guessing that area of the Silicon Valley. Yeah, Silicon Valley. Girl with the dragon tattoo. I'm not sure. Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> Sweden. And then Gone Girls in the American Midwest. Okay, okay. I was thinking maybe, because, I mean, I've seen some movies like Primer where it's like Fight Club, a deliberately anonymous city. It's a city, but it could be Chicago. It could be New York. It could be Atlanta. It could be something like that. It's just interesting. I always find it cool when directors do that. Like, Brian De Palma, I think, did that for Blowout. Yes. Although, yes. Yeah, so. yeah, this is a really good list here. I mean, you got David Fincher's favorite movies on here. I mean, Dr. Strangelove. I could see that. Yeah. Because the, the camera in Dr. Strangelove does tell you how to feel, how to react. Oh, absolutely. But it's more, again, it's more responsible, though. And also, it's it's not as important because you're it's a comedy. Yeah. So it's I a mean, different thing. It you, is you, a comedy, the, yeah. The, it's a black, the, black comedy. But yeah, it's a comedy. but the importance of that film is, of course, your connection to the audience and and having hit points to make them laugh to. Like, an audience response is inherent in the kind of film that they're making, whereas, say, for example, Seven, um, <clears throat> the disorientation is, is important. So, I... What do you think is Fincher's funniest movie? Could you even pick? Uh... I don't know. That's 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 a hard one because a lot of the lines are like retrospectively funny. Mm-hmm. Fight Club, especially, but say for example, like uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character in uh, Zodiac is is really interesting, especially when he goes a little nuts mm-hmm. and Hall goes to visit him at the end. Um, Gone Girl is actually really funny and probably from a dialogue standpoint has the most jokes. Um, in the dialogue exchanges, mm-hmm. as well as it's kind of like I know I'm not. I, it's probably showing a hand of cards I shouldn't show, but like it's pretty fucking funny when she slits NPH's net, uh, throat, mm-hmm. and, and he's just like I, I know it shouldn't be, 
but the shock it's like you're either going to respond two ways you're either going to cover your eyes or be like oh my god awkward laugh here mm-hmm. that's and yep. and i went with the latter sorry if anyone's offended i remember the only time i really laughed out loud in fight club was when norton hits brad pitt for the first time and he hits him in the ear mm. <laughs> probably the grade school line for me oh yeah 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 okay but yeah, Fight Club's pretty good. But again, like because a lot of these movies that we're talking about are sourced from books, a lot of this stuff is already there. Like it, it, Fight Club is a different movie than than the book to a certain extent, but it still has uh, the Polonic vibe. Oh yeah, the dry humor is intact. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, you just had a near life experience mm-hmm. right out of the book. All, almost all of those big lines of Durden's are right out of the book. So. Yeah, and it, he's good at it, man. He's he's a great writer. All right, so just to wrap things up here, if you don't mind, because we should probably be calling it a day. Mm-hmm. Um, your first was Fight Club, correct? First was Fight Club, yeah. Okay, and I just want to take a look here. Where are we here? On Rotten Tomatoes, uh, just as an example, 79%. That one sits a little bit higher on... Uh, that's kind of, in all seriousness, the center point in his work. There's stuff... That's about the halfway point because stuff that sits below that is like Benjamin Button, mm-hmm. Alien, or his endeavor with Alien, Alien 3, um, or Alien Cubed. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then the films that sit above it are, for example, Seven, uh, The Game, sits a, or no, sorry, The Game is below it, which is dumb, but whatever. Um, uh Zodiac is above it, 89%, and Social Network, which you said was your favorite, was at 96 So it's funny, the two wow. movies that we picked as, the, as our favorites, yeah. you, you said... Um, no, I said The Game, but oh. I, I do love The Social Network. Oh, okay, my apologies. It's so right Social Network it. is at 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, and Zodiac at 89 I had no idea people thought that way of The Social Network. Yeah, That's I'm surprised 96. to see the Benjamin Button ratings. Apparently, they agree with us. Yeah. But in any case, and... Uh, it that seems to be kind of the center point in terms of revenues too with Fight Club, because say for example you look at you know Panic Room made more money and was made for less money, um, and and then probably the highest grossing of his films again is is Gone Girl, um, <clears throat> with a uh, Social Network and Benjamin Button up there as well. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so Benjamin Button. Uh, three hundred thirty-three million dollars, a little over that worldwide, or almost three hundred thirty-four million. Uh, Gone Girl at three hundred sixty-six. Uh, so, and then Social Network sitting to twenty-four million. It's so interesting that when people say David Fincher, mm-hmm. Fight Club's the one that comes up. Yeah, it is. Yeah, always, and it sits in the middle. Of both its viability at the box office. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sure it found its audience on DVD. DVD, like if we had the DVD sales in front of us, it'd probably be massive it for was Fight really Club. Really aggressively pushed the yeah. DVD. It was less than the VHS in stores at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then um, yeah, so it's it's just interesting that that one sits in the middle of of everything in terms of uh, box office scores and and critics uh, kind of ratings. Yeah. It, it's so interesting. Maybe because the game was a bit of a sleeper, but Fight Club, it was the annou- it was really the arrival of a talent and people were okay, this guy is not going away. I mean, he's got Brad Pitt. He's got, you know. And it's such um it is a divisive movie and it's really 
found a place in pop culture. I mean, everywhere you go, you hear someone doing a variation of the first rule of whatever club. Don't talk about whatever club. You know, it's that's probably the only line that's lived on, actually, now that I think about it. I haven't been fucked like that in grade school. Isn't that important <laughs> anymore? That's too bad. Yeah. That's something about our society, I suppose, which is probably positive. Yeah, I... I don't know. This guy's a hard one to wrap up now that we've opened this can of worms because you can go in so many directions with him. It seems like he will either, I mean, if the last three out of his, the last three of his four most recent films have been adaptations of literature, but then the one... No, the last four. All four. The Social Network is based on a book? I believe so. Hmm. Maybe. I didn't know that. Yeah, I wonder if he'll, uh, he'll go on to do another one. It is interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. Shall we wrap it up? Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Remember, this is just the beginning of the conversation. Uh, we want to continue it on with you and this guy. We, I, I feel like we have just opened a Pandora's box of, of hatred on either side of, of the uh, David Fincher line in society. Um, so feel free to... And I encourage you, in fact... Get in touch with us this week. Tell us what's your favorite Fincher film. What's your least favorite? Do you like him? Do you think he's a, an auteur? Do you think he's a hack? Um, I don't know. Don't yell at me. Don't be too mean. Yeah, if you like Benjamin Button, I'd love to hear why. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> All right, so you can reach us at uh, on Twitter at Mermel Podcast at M R M L Podcast. You can also email the show at show at MoviesRuinMyLife dot com. Uh, and Danny, do you want to offer up your Twitter? Yeah, my Twitter is at Leafs Love Hurts. And I'm at not Brandon Fleet on Twitter. Um, <clears throat> if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or SoundCloud or uh, any podcatcher, we are on most of them. And if you can't find us on your choice podcatcher, please uh, let us know and we'll rectify it. But thank you for listening. Um, and... Uh, this has been a lot of fun, surprisingly. I was really worried about this episode. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's, he's not easy to talk about. He's a lot easier to watch. So I'm glad it, <laughs> glad it went, yeah. went this way. All right. So uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we got a lot of really, really cool stuff coming up. I think you're really going to uh, enjoy some of the, the surprises that we have coming in the coming months. So please uh, subscribe, comment, rate, review, whatever there is to do on whatever podcast you're, you're using. Uh, and thanks for hanging out with us. brother has given him an extremely interesting gift which is a live action game that happens well you, you just ruined the movie you said for anyone who hasn't seen the film here's the oh entire wait cut that out twist. cut that out Any-